It is Friday, August 19th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. We are back for our second Team Insider Series pod of the day. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And joining us now is a senior writer for The Athletic covering the Washington Commanders beat. You can listen to his podcast, Standing Room Only. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ben Standig. And he's a repeat visitor to our podcast. Ben Standig, thanks for joining us again. Matt, always appreciate the time, man. How's everything going for you guys? Going great. We don't have the commanders, uh, you know, messing with our time and shooting us new things to cover. <laughs> l- l- lucky you. I, I I recommend avoiding such things when, whenever possible. <laughs> That's right. We just we just gotta wait on here for team insiders like yourself to come drop some knowledge on us, and that's what we're gonna look for from you today. And you know, the big thing for fantasy players right now is the backfield because. <clears throat> You know, we all were a little bit wary of Antonio Gibson after they made the Brian Robinson pick. And I think that there's even more reason to be so now. So, Ben, you wrote this week that it's still fair to write in Antonio Gibson as the likely leader of this backfield. But you said you should do it in pencil as opposed to pen. How would you treat this backfield for fantasy draft purposes right now? Because I know you have fantasy behind you. Yeah, I mean, so... Presumably your listeners know, but if they missed it in the first preseason game, Antonio Gibson had a fumble. He had, he led all running backs with six fumbles last year. And after the game, Ron Rivera didn't so much focus on the fumble, but he focused on the fact that he, he says Gibson needs to run harder. And by that, he means be more decisive. If you look at a lot of the analytics from last year, uh, a lot of these numbers show that he just left a lot of yards on the field. That's sort of the simplistic view. So, when they drafted Brian Robinson, like you said, who is a more consistent interior runner who holds onto the ball, it leads to the question, well, how do you how does this backfield go into work with Gibson, Robinson, plus JD McKissick, the 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 passing down back, right? But okay, fine, Gibson's still the main guy. And I would say he is still now, but now you have this dynamic where he's fumbled again. Last year he was benched multiple times in game for like a series or two after fumbles. And now Rob, and now they've said what they said. Then on top of that, bear with me. On top of that, at practice this week, he's part. He's practicing with the special teams as a punt protector, and then as a returner. Was that aspect to send a message? Not necessarily. If he's the third running back, that guy's going to have to play special teams. So it is even more confusing now than it was before. And by the way, Robinson, you know, if we're talking about goal line stuff, like even if Gibson gets the standard work, who's who's getting the goal line? I think that's still up in the air, but Gip, but Robinson is the more decisive guy, so you would think logically the coaching staff would veer in that direction. So it's all to say I don't really know what to tell you in terms of like <laughs> where to draft Gibson. I think you'd have to tread lightly, though. He's still a very dynamic player, runner, receiver. He's still probably the guy most likely to get the most touches, but you have to be pretty leery. And you know, if he gets a, another fumble in the preseason or early <laughs> in the season – seems like they're re- their, their patience has run thin and they're ready to go to Robinson if they have to. Yeah, I mean, in most cases, what we're looking for is decisiveness one way or the other. But for me, that's confirmation on the way I've been feeling about this. I look at this Washington backfield and I'm like, I don't really know what's going to happen. I'm not sure they know exactly what's going to happen. So I'm just going to go in hesitant. I'll get some pieces where they make sense draft cost wise and just make sure I'm not over committing to any one guy. Yeah, I was liking Robinson as like a late round flyer a couple weeks ago. I, I don't know where he's going as ADP is right now, but I would imagine it's, it's a little it's a little higher. 
Um, he would be the one of the three that I would want to invest in if he's a later round pick. And I mean, look, we, we all get it right. Running backs are hard to find. There's not many guys anymore that have, uh, you know, the, the majority of the carries, like you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a big majority. I don't know, and I guess that's the thing, right? I don't know if Gibson will be able to to do that. I will say the one thing for Gibson to, to his benefit here is that injuries have been an issue for him since he's been in the league. He's played through them last year, but they were still the nagging type, and you could tell he was limited. If his touches go down, that actually may make him better for the long haul, reduce some wear and tear. I think he's better off in space anyway than sort of plowing him up the middle, which is kind of what they were doing between the tackles last year. So it could benefit him a a, a different, more limited role, but obviously nobody wants to hear that because right now you're relying more on touchdowns and things like that. Um, So it's tricky, but the limited role might actually benefit him over the course of a year, but at the same point, it it is nervous, uh, n- no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Ben, Ben, do you think the plan all along this offseason has for this to be a three-man committee with Gibson, Robinson, and McKissick? Or do you think they'd rather have it be Gibson or Robinson plus McKissick in the passing role? Uh, Rivera used the term committee earlier at some point in this offseason. And obviously last year they had Gibson and McKissick and I don't remember hearing committee. So committee, right. is three people at least I think (laughs) fair to say. So, yeah, I mean, I think they viewed it this way all along. The question was just simply, you know, what is, what did everybody kind of look like? You know, Gibson spent a lot of the off season trying to trim down. He he dropped his body fat, I think like 18% to 12%. And, you know, he's, he's a really impressive physical presence. He's got a lot of size on him, but he still runs a sub four, four forty. Um, so he's the guy that can do all of it and not say Robinson can't catch the pass or, and I'm not saying McKissick can't be an effective runner, but you know, Gibson's is more of the total package, but you get, you don't draft a running back in the third round for that guy to just sort of be in the corner. And they, you know, went out of their way to bring back McKissick when it looked like he was going to Buffalo. So they've, they, they clearly wanted these three guys. And I don't think it's just to have one of them sort of sit in the corner. To that end, too, I read that article of yours talking about the backfield on the athletic this week, and it, it said that Rivera has also lauded the speed on Robinson and the pass catching ability on Robinson. So it's it's definitely a worrisome position for Antonio Gibson. For sure. And look, you know, independent of Gibson, you know, Robinson to me has looked pretty good in practice. You know, it's a little hard to gauge running backs in practice without tackling mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But I think he's looked pretty good. And I keep using the word decisive. You know, that's the thing, like uh, offensive coordinator Scott Turner after it was this week in practice uh, or this past week in practice said of Robinson off the preseason game. Yeah, you know, whatever. He's a rookie, made a couple mistakes, but he runs so hard that he's still able to pick up yards even when he, you know, kind of maybe botched the lane or, or didn't make the, the the exact right read. That's obviously in stark contrast to what they're saying about Gibson. So that's the thing, like at a minimum, he is a more consistent running back and I know we'll get to Carson Wentz but like Carson Wentz one of what's one of his issues right low completion percentage relative to other starters so if you're already having sort of that up and down variable with your quarterback you don't really want that with the running back as well and Robinson gives you I think a steadier yeah. version that that's sort of my theory at, to, to some of this but I think it kind of makes sense you know they you want big plays but you want to have sustained drive consistent drives also and that's not happening if you're you know losing two yards on first down and then your quarterback is uh you know forced to do some other things the, the name that's popping into my head listening to ben talk about brian robinson is jamal williams just that you know 
no nonsense type of runner that the coaches just trust. Like he's not flashy. He's not going to pop on tape, but the coaches just trust him. He kind of does everything. Well, that's kind of the type of career. I think that Brian Robinson's going to carve out in the NFL. Um, Carson Wentz. I think their reviews we've heard at least have been mixed in camp. How has he looked to you? And I think, you know, more importantly, is he going to be an upgrade over Tyler Taylor Heineke? And if so, you know, how, how big of an upgrade for this offensive for this passing game? Yeah, it's such an interesting dynamic with Carson Wentz, right? When they make the trade, I heard so many people from outside say, oh, Michael, you got to be kidding me. Why would you go get this guy? He's terrible. Bad move. And maybe that'll be proven right. But I think you also have to look at the context. You know, since Ron Rivera got here in 2020, let me see if I can get all these quarterbacks accurate. <laughs> His quarterbacks were, you know, the, you know, the late Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith playing on one leg, Kyle Allen, Taylor Heineke, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who played one half of one football last year, and then they had Garrett Gilbert as a practice, as like a replacement game when COVID struck the team. Th- that's what he's been dealing with, right? And if you go even a year further, when Terry McLaurin entered the league, it's even worse. So Carson Wentz is one of the best thirty-two quarterbacks in the league. Is he good enough to take you to the Super Bowl? I think that probably would say no. Good enough to go to the playoffs? I mean, look, this team won seven games in each of the last two years. They won seven games last year with Taylor Heineke and a defense that just absolutely cratered and ranked in the bottom five in a lot of uh, main you know, categories. If the defense just is sort of middle of the pack, which is conceivable, and Car- Carson Wentz gives you that long pal- ball ability that they didn't have last year with Taylor Heineke, and plus they've added some other weapons, like I think this team could be better, but that's that that that's the question is going to be, is you know how consistent is Carson Wentz, and that's the thing, right? The outside world says, "Oh, this guy stinks," but from Washington's perspective, he is better than what they had. Taylor Heineke, yeah. fun guy, everybody likes him, but he's just limited. He can't throw the ball with any consistency or, or zip more than you know fifteen yards or so down the field. Wentz can absolutely do that, but obviously, there's a lot of questions with him, as we've all documented from his time with Indy and uh, Philly. How about the wide receiver core? Are any of these guys like kind of emerging as the clear number one for Carson Wentz? Is it still Terry McLaurin? Any chance Jahan Dotson kind of you know threatens McLaurin for the the top receiver role here? I mean, I, I would be crazy to say that like McLaurin wouldn't be the one. I mean, one based on what he's done in the league, and two they just paid him you know pretty good money. I would say from my perspective that the receiver that Wentz has had the best chemistry with in camp has been Jahan Dotson. Whether that has something to do with how the defense is dealing with him versus McLaurin, not sure. But to me, he's been that guy. And, you know, there was some controversy about them picking him 16th a little earlier than based on sort of the mock drafts and things like that. He's been nothing but impressive since he's since he's gotten here. Uh, not only is he a mat- seems like a pretty mature kid, his route running is pretty sharp. Uh, he, he's, it was already a lot of talk about his catch radius. You, you go back and watch his highlights at Penn state. There's some pretty, you know, wild type plays and he's come in and like, it's, it's almost gotten now because we've had him since, you know, OTAs and mini camp to now, like I'm almost kind of bored. Like, okay, <laughs> like I, I get it. Like he's good. Like, you know, now what? Um, and, and I, I mean, obviously that, that's a good thing. And there are some people who think he may be the best route runner on the team already. So he's been good. Now, does this, does this translate to, he's going to be a big fantasy player? We'll see, obviously, you know, he's not the biggest of guys, right? 5'11", you know, small guy, you know, how do, you know, how does he handle opposing teams, you know, beating him up if that if that's conceivable. Um, And, you know, we'll see what Wentz, you know, where Wentz goes once the the ball, uh, once the game's turn real, but he's been pretty good. I mean, if you're going to want to 
deep flyer type situation. I don't think it's the worst call in the world. I'm not looking at all the other teams. I'll leave that to you guys to determine that. But like in terms of just a guy on this team, I think Dotson has a definite chance to be the the next guy after McLaurin. Yeah, and if he gets anywhere close to McLaurin and target share, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a bonanza from where you're drafting him. Yeah, yeah, for, I, for sure. Yeah, I, you know, we haven't. I feel like we haven't talked about Dotson enough this offseason. But to me, he's been one of the the biggest values in fantasy drafts right now. Just the draft capital Washington spent on him and how good he's looked in camp. Um, I've been drafting a lot of Jahan Dotson. What about uh, Curtis Samuel, Ben? Do you think he's going to play a big enough role to to you know be any type of fantasy factor? Yeah, it's a good question. So on the good note, he's been practicing. I mean, after after last year's mystery injury situation, you know that he's been, you know, they, they've been nursing him through, but he's largely been practicing pretty consistently here, and he's looked pretty good when he's out there. Now it's been a lot of stuff underneath passes, um, you know, as he and sort of Dotson kind of rotate between outside and the slot. But you know, he's an effective playmaker for sure. Quick, uh, you know, we saw what he could do at Carolina his last year there. I think my only question is the volume between the three receivers the tight end position that Carson Wentz likes and the running backs, do you get enough work for everybody? So at some point I can't say McLaurin, Dodson and Samuel get enough to make fantasy owners happy, but I do think Samuel looks pretty interesting at at a minimum. I noticed that you said he and Dodson rotating in and out of the slot. Is Samuel in the slot more often or has it been a pretty even split between them? Sorry about that. Um, Yeah, I think it's a pretty even split. A bit been a pretty even split, you know. Obviously, all three of their top receivers are all about the same five eleven, six foot, so to speak. So they don't have a lot of variance there. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily great from the quarterback perspective, but in terms of like where you can move guys, you know, it's it's all been kind of the the the, the same. I know Samuel had a lot more effectiveness in the slot working with Carolina, but Washington had not been sort of planning to do as much of that last year. Um, but we'll see. We'll see this year. I mean, yeah, they both have lined up in different outside and inside. I don't know that that's a definitive answer either way. And I think, you know, another variable here is their tight end room has been absolutely beat up so far. Um, Logan Thomas is our, still on the pup list from knee surgery last year. Their next top two tight ends have been hurt for the last couple of weeks. They're, they're currently their lead tight end is a undrafted rookie free agent who played quarterback in college last year. This is where they're at. But Carson Wentz, like he throws to the tight end his first, his, he threw his first pass last week to Samuel. The next four passes went to Armani Rogers. This aforementioned undrafted free agent. So Wentz is going to go to the tight end a lot. He throws it to almost to that position about as much as anybody in the league. So that's another thing. When Logan Thomas gets back, if, you know, how does how does the distribution work even further? I think that's to me is my concern with sort of Dotson and Samuel is does Logan Thomas, assuming he's ready at some point and is effective, how does how, does that take away too much work from them to be too exciting? Again, on top of the fact that you've got the running backs who can catch passes also. And that transitions to our next question. I know that the that Ron Rivera has not wanted to put a timeline on Logan Thomas's return. Is there any kind of sense right now that he's close to getting back or are they still not saying that they have a plan or expectation for when he returns to the field? Yeah. They, they haven't really said too much at this point, you know, back in mini camp at time, you know, Logan Thomas was kind of, he, he wasn't, Oh, I'm, he wasn't, you know, saying he'll definitely be back for week one or anything like that, but he did say, Hey, it could be week one. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen him running on the side, you know, all that, but obviously you got to get hit at some point. So I don't think we're there yet. I think it's conceivable, though, he's ready for week one. Obviously, 
he's not a guy that's like in the top 15 among quarterbacks in, in various draft situations. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying to, to, to draft him, but you know, I had to write something for the athletic, uh, you know, pick sort of a fantasy, I don't forget a sleeper or breakout or something. And I was like, I know nobody wants to hear about a 30 year old tight end coming <laughs> off of knee surgery, but, but like I said, when you look at what Carson Wentz his distribution history, and then Logan Thomas was really good in 2020, I think it could work, but you know, I'm not saying you burn a roster spot for it until he's either, you know, showing something or he's at least back. But I think he, I think he could be pretty interesting. Especially now that we have all these best ball drafts and best ball tournaments where you can stash him as a third tight end and just kind of see what happens once he does get healthy. Um, On the defensive side, what are the chances that Jamin Davis gets near full playing time this season, whether it's week one or at some point during the year? I mean, if you're just talking snaps, I think he's probably going to do that. Like they have Cole Holcomb, he'll be their 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 main linebacker, and then Jamin Davis is clearly the second guy, even if it's just based on that he was a first round pick last year. Their their other backups are not particularly exciting, uh, and Jamin Davis has been pretty much out there the whole time with with Holcomb. So I think, and last year Holcomb and John Bostic, when Bostic was healthy, pretty much played you know almost every snap kind of deal. So I think the answer is yes. The question is, will he be productive to, enough to keep at, to stay out there? Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to go too crazy, but he's definitely looked better in camp uh, enough to warrant that, or enough to say he's going to get a bunch of tackles and sacks and turnovers to for, for, for you people. I don't know. <laughs> but in terms of like helping the defense, I mean, you know, I think that's the hope, obviously, that, that he gives them a sort of sideline to sideline playmaker in that second level. He's looked better to me when he's been closer to the line of scrimmage. We'll see what happens in coverage. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think he should be out there if you want to take that you know, upside shot. I think he'll be out there for sure. Should I take offense to you calling us IDP owners, you people? <laughs> You're turning Never. us into the other. You've been <laughs> called worse. You've been called worse, Matt. Yeah, I, I I like IDP. I just you know <laughs> <laughs> that's a spirit. Um, any optimism around the team on Chase Young's outlook for September games? I'm sure it's very similar to Logan Thomas, and I know that kind of throughout the the team has indicated that they're going to take it slowly. And it seemed like Chase Young was certainly no further along than Logan Thomas, and maybe even further behind. But is there any sense? of whether he's going to get on the field in September if we're looking at, you know, possibly a pup situation into the regular season. Yeah. He, he, uh, they had four players on the pup list to start uh, training camp and Rivera said of the four chase young is the last one likely to come back. He's then went and said, he'll be at at least the first game, but in the ad explanation, he originally said he could start the year on the pup list. And Rivera then said that the pup list was six games because it used to be, but now it's four. So at least it suggests that in his head, the possibility of Chase Young missing at least the first month is there. I've been I've been sort of recklessly speculating three to six weeks. It's hard to say, but even let's just say even if he comes back in three weeks, right? Mm-hmm. What what does that actually mean? Is he coming back in spirit or actually like he's coming back ready to wreck havoc? the way he did often during his rookie year. I think that's a big question. That's not even factoring in how, you know, he was disappointing last year before the injury. And, you know, is he, what has he learned to improve just off of that, let alone having to, you know, get the knee right and and regain that explosiveness. So I think he's definitely questionable in in multiple ways this year. And, you know, their, their path has been to be cautious with injuries, like you said. So, you know, I, I guess there's a chance he could be back in September, but like, I won't, I don't know if it's a great one. 
when you factor all of the things in, it's somebody that we all want to be excited about as a player, but there's just a lot more saying you need to be hesitant with him this year, especially because, you know, as much as Washington would like him to produce right away, they've got to look toward the long term with him as a first round pick who's going to be due for a big contract if he starts delivering. So they could probably have to force their own, um, I don't know, conservatism with his return. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's a absolutely good way to look at it. I mean, the other thing is that helps them be a little conservative is the rest of their defensive line. Pretty good, right? I mean, I mean, Montez Sweat, you know, there are times in practice like, wow, this guy's going to get 10 sacks or more easily. Uh, John Allen already looks like he's ready to duplicate what he did last year, if not build on it. Deron Payne's a, you know, really solid run stuffer. I don't know if he's a, somebody that he, uh, you want for fantasy, but whatever, you know, in terms of the team, he's pretty good. And they have sort of like a hodgepodge of options to fill in for chase young. Nobody particularly that exciting. Nobody I would say is going to get uh, enough sacks or, or, you know, to, to be interesting, but like for their perspective, some guys who are at least solid enough to fill in. So they don't have to rush young back just from that perspective, but obviously you want the guy on the field as soon as you can. One more quick one before I let you go is Cameron curl going to have a big year. I think he has a chance. I I really like him. I mean, they're going to move him around all over the place. He'll play, you know, some free safety, some strong safety. He'll play their Buffalo nickel position, which mm-hmm. means he'll be moving closer to the to, to the line. I mean, he should be on the field, you know, basically every single play. And uh, you know, obviously interceptions can be a little bit random, but you know, he he's pretty good. And and I think you know he he is somebody that can be a um, a playmaker for the secondary. And um, I think the secondary, it's a it's an interesting situation for them. They were kind of miserable at the beginning of last year. They found some, uh, they improved this time went on and the top four guys are all back. They've looked pretty good in camp. I think Kendall Fuller has probably been the best player in camp overall. So the secondary looks good. I think Cam Curl has a big role within that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've liked what I've read about him. I like the opportunity there and it sounds like he is a player who is growing on the field. So I like taking him late and, and seeing what the upside says. He covers the commander's beat for the athletic, which by the way, it's well worth the subscription price. And they're not paying me to say that. I just believe that it's an excellent source for news this time of year. I'm reading it every day. The podcast is standing room only. The Twitter handle is at Ben standing. Ben, thanks again for taking the time to join us today. I appreciate it. Now, now I got to get into an IDP league. Now that I'm like thinking about this, I'm like realizing it's a, I'm missing it in my portfolio. I'm going to have to work on that. That's right. That's what we're here for is to give everybody a taste so that you got to jump in. I'm here to support you. So give me any of your IDP questions, Ben, and anybody listening, not just Ben. You can find every episode of the podcast on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple, on Amazon Music, wherever else you like to get your podcasts. You can also, of course, find them all on DraftSharks.com, where you will also find a plethora of draft-dominating content and tools. Become a DS Insider today. You can take full advantage of that. For our guest, Ben Standing, for Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. <laughs>